This video is part of an audiobook series featuring Narrative Economics by Robert J. Schiller, How Stories Go Viral and Drive Major Economic Events. For more audiobooks, please visit my YouTube channel or my website for downloads. Chapter 3. Contagion, Constellations, and Confluence before we embark on a study of how economic narratives go viral, it is helpful to consider how bacteria and viruses spread by contagion. The science of epidemiology offers valuable lessons and may help explain how the story of Bitcoin, and many other economic narratives, went viral. Let us first consider diseases caused by real viruses. Consider as an example the major Ebola epidemic that swept through West Africa Guinea, Liberia, and Sierra Leone between 2013 and 2015. Ebola is a viral disease for which there is no approved vaccine or treatment, and it kills most people who contract it. Ebola spreads from person to person via body fluids. It is infectio its infectiousness can be lowered through hospitalization and quarantine, and through proper handling and burial of the dead. In figure 3.1, we see a typical example of an epidemic curve for Ebola in a community, this from Liberia. Note that the number of newly reported Ebola cases has a hump-shaped pattern. The epidemic first rises, then falls. The rising period is a time when the contagion rate, the rate of increase of newly infected people, exceeds the recovery rate, plus the death rate. During the rising period, the rise in the number of infected people due to contagion outnumbers the fall in the number due to recovery or death. The process is reversed during the falling period. That is, the fall in the number of people infected due to recovery or death outweighs the rise in the number due to contagion, putting the number infected into a steady downward path, marking the termination of the epidemic. After the epidemic started, contagion rates of the Ebola virus eventually fell for various reasons, notably the heroic efforts of Medicines Sans Frontieres, Doctors Without Borders. More than a hundred non-governmental organizations and individuals who risked their lives to lower the contagion in Africa. According to the World Health Organization, healthcare workers were 21 to 32 times more likely to catch the disease than a general population there and there were 815 confirmed and probable cases of healthcare worker infection as of 2015. Most of those workers died. Contagion Recovery and Decline Efforts to lower contagion rates by avoiding contact with sick people are hardly new. The history of quarantines extends back to at least 1377, when the city of Venice imposed during a plague a 30-day isolation period on arrivals by sea, and then a 40-day isolation period for travelers by land. The word quarantine derives from the Latin word for 40. The, word has also, the world has also seen occasional attempts to increase contagion as an act of war, as with the catapulting of dead bodies of plague victims into a fortified city at the Siege of Kaffa, 1346. Another mechanism for the declining contagion rate is a decrease in the pool of susceptible people. This pool decreases through time because many people who had the disease are now immune to it, or dead. 
This mechanism, modeled in the appendix, occurs even if no healthcare workers take action to contain the disease, as in long-ago epidemics before modern medicine. Eventually, those epidemics ended before everyone was infected. When the contagion rate is lower than the recovery rate plus the death rate, the disease does not disappear immediately. The contagion rate is not reduced to zero. All that is necessary to conquer the epidemic is to lower the contagion rate below the recovery rate. Unless the contagion rate is zero, there will still be new cases of the disease, but the total number of sick people declines, gradually tailing off to zero, at which point the epidemic ends. We are talking here of the average contagion rate and average recovery rate, averaging over many people. However, both the contagion rate and the recovery rate can differ greatly from one individual carrier to another. A relatively small percentage of superspreaders can infect many people. One such superspreader was Mary Mallon, or Typhoid Mary, who a century ago spread typhoid fever to at least 122 people over an interval of years. In the context of narratives, most of us may not be contagious for long enough to cause an epidemic without the presence of these superspreaders. And because of a small fraction of superspreaders, the average contagion rate can be much higher than the typical contagion rate. Today's narrative superspreaders may be enabled by marketing using accelerated analytics, such as recently provided by NVIDIA Corporation or Advanced Micro Devices Inc., which is invisible to most of us. So we can't always accurately judge the contagiousness of a narrative based on our own fascination with it. It's critical. Both the appearance of the disease epidemic at a given time and place and the decline in the epidemic after its peak tend to be mysterious. Many factors influence the contagion rate and recovery rate, factors that may be hard to document. For example, the ultimate reason for the recovery could be a change in the weather, which is more readily documented, or it could be a decrease in the number of encounters between people that allow for the transmission of the disease, which also might be hard to document. Or it might be some combination of the two. The changes need not be big or obvious. We can apply the same model to epidemics of economic narratives. Contagion occurs from person to person through talk, whether in person or through telephone or social media. There is also contagion from one news outlet and talk show to another as they watch and read one another's stories. Once again, the ultimate causes of the epidemic might not be obvious. Fortunately, most economic narratives do not result in deaths, but the process is the same. The recovery plus deaths variable in the medical model is simply recovery, loss of interest in the narrative, or forgetting in the economic model we are developing. Economic narratives follow the same pattern as the spread of disease, a rising number of infected people who spread the narrative for a while, followed by a period of forgetting and falling interest in talking about the narrative. In both medical and narrative epidemics, we, th we see the same basic principle at work. The contagion rate must exceed the recovery rate for an epidemic to get started. For example, when Ebola is found to have infected hundreds of people in one town and virtually nobody in another, the explanation could be some inconspicuous factor that made Ebola contagion rates higher in town one than in town two putting the town one contagion rate above the recovery rate at the beginning of the epidemic. 
Meanwhile, in town two, there is no epidemic because the contagion rate isn't quite high enough to offset recovery. Similarly, with, with narrative epidemics, there may be two different narratives, one with some minor story details that make it more contagious than the other. The minor story details make the first narrative, and not the second, into an epidemic. Let's apply this insight to the Bitcoin narrative. Contagion of the Bitcoin narrative. Figure 3.2 plots the frequency of appearance in news articles of the words bimetallism and Bitcoin. The figure is not a plot of price, but rather an indicator of public attention. Both bimetallism and Bitcoin represent radical ideas for the transformation of the monetary standard, with alleged miraculous benefits to the economy. Each word is a marker for, con for a constellation of stories that include not only stories of theory, but also human interest stories. The plots for both words look quite similar, and each is similar to a typical infective curve as seen in figure 3.1. We haven't seen a definitive end of the Bitcoin narrative yet, as we did with bimetallism. Only time will tell. We will discuss the remarkable bimetallism epidemic at length in Chapter 12, along with other narrative epidemics. For now, it is enough to know that bimetallism and Bitcoin both invoke monetary theory. In both cases, an enormous number of people began to regard a particular innovation as cool, trendy, or cutting-edge. In both cases, the contagion is represented by a hump-shaped curve resembling an epidemic curve. In contrast, in figure 3.2, the curves look more spiky, that is, compressed from left to right, because the figure plots more than a century of data beyond the virulent periods. In fact, the bimetallism and Bitcoin narratives played out over years, rather than weeks, as in the case of Ebola but the same epidemic theory applies to all three. In the case of bimetallism, we also see a smaller secondary epidemic in the 1930s, during the Great Depression, but it never amounted to much. It was like a secondary epidemic of a disease. So narrative epidemics really mimic disease epidemics, and it is more than just that. It is also interesting to note that there are co-epidemics of diseases and narratives altogether. Medical researchers in the Congo during a 2018 outbreak of Ebola linked the high contagion to narratives reaching the population. Over 80% of the interviewees said that they had heard misinformation that Ebola does not exist, or Ebola is fabricated for financial gains, or Ebola is fabricated to destabilize the region. For each of these statements, over 25% said they believed the narrative. These narratives discouraged prevention measures and amplified the disease. The two epidemics fed on each other to grow large. The appendix in this book looks at theories and models from epidemiology, including the original 1927 Kermack-McKendrick SIR model to help explain the spread of economic narratives. These models divide the population into compartments. One, susceptible to the disease. Two, infected and spreading the disease, and three, recovered or dead. All of the models feature contagion rates and recovery rates. We can think of figures 3.1 and 3.2 as evidence on the number of infectives. These models tend to predict hump-shaped paths for an epidemic, like that in figure A1 in the appendix. 
even if there is no medical intervention at all. The epidemic will eventually start weakening because the percentage of the population that has still not been exposed to the disease is declining, bringing down the contagion rate below the recovery rate. In the appendix, we will also see that the time to peak and the duration of an epidemic can vary widely, determined by model parameters. The Ebola epidemic ran for a matter of months in a given locale, but we should not assume that all epidemics must follow that same short timetable. In other words, the Ebola epidemic could have stretched on for years if the initial contagion rate had been lower, so long as contagion did not fall below recovery. For example, epidemiologists have described the acquired immune deficiency syndrome, AIDS, caused by the human immune deficiency virus, HIV, as not very contagious, and they have recommended that healthcare professionals should not shrink from treating HIV patients for fear of catching it. AIDS tends to be transmitted only in certain circumstances involving unsafe practices. AIDS has been a slow epidemic, developing over decades, even slower than the bimetallism and Bitcoin epidemics, and it is able to grow despite low contagion because it has a smaller recovery rate. An HIV-infected person can continue to infect others for many years. The Contagion of Economic Models In 2011, Jean-Baptiste Michel and a team of co-authors published an article in Science proving or providing evidence that mentions of famous people in books tends to follow a hump-shaped pattern through time, rising then falling, over decades rather than months or years. They amplified their conclusions in a book, Uncharted, Big Data as a Lens on Human Culture, by Erez Aden and Jean-Baptiste Michel in 2013. The same patterns seem to apply to economic theories. In Chapter 5, we consider the contagion of one of these narratives, the Laffer Curve, a simple model of the relationship between tax rates and the amount of tax revenue collected. But let us first note briefly that these patterns apply even to highbrow economic theories that circulate primarily among professional economists. Figure 3.3 shows Google Ngram results for four economic theories. The ISLM model by Sir John Hicks in 1937, the Multiplier Accelerator model, Paul Samuelson, 1939, the Overlapping Generations model, again Samuelson in 1958, and the Real Business Cycle model by Finn Keidland and Edward Prescott, 1982. All show hump-shaped patterns similar to those of disease epidemics. For our purposes here, it doesn't matter what is in these theories. None of them has been proven completely right or wrong. They are all potentially interesting. Each of them is a story whose popularity followed the expected path of an epidemic. For three of the models, the epidemic first became visible more than a decade after the model was introduced, a phenomenon that we also see in the medical epidemic framework, where epidemics may go unobserved for a while after very small beginnings. The number of cases may be growing steadily percentage-wise, but the disease fails to be widely noticed until the number of cases hits a certain threshold. In practice, the long lag between the publication of an, of an economic theory and its eventual strong epidemic status represents a time interval over which the model evolves from something regarded as peculiar and thought-provoking into something that is clearly correct and recognizably great. 
Over this gestational interval, other scholars in the discipline increasingly appreciate the model, and the epidemic spreads through academic rituals, such as paper presentations and major conferences. Eventually, the models make their way into textbooks. Still later, the model is talked about enough that the news media begin to feel that it should be mentioned, and people outside of the economics profession, who pride themselves on their general knowledge, begin to feel that they should know something about it. But in this late stage of the epidemic, the model may begin to lose some of its contagion. Some people begin to consider it stale and unoriginal, even if it has merit, while others end up forgetting about it completely. The contagion of these theories did not generally take the form of someone sitting down with a pencil and paper and saying, let me explain the ISLM model to you. In most cases, the communication was probably much more elementary and human. Economic historian Warren Young suggests, suspects that the contagion of the ISLM diagram had something to do with its resemblance to the intersection of supply and demand. That is perhaps the most famous image in all of economics. In addition, the ISLM model was a formalization of John Maynard Keynes' theory. Keynes was a brilliant writer, but as we have seen, many narratives are associated with celebrities. Keynes himself was a colorful figure and a celebrity in his own right. He hobnobbed with the Bloomsbury group of artists and intellectuals, among other celebrities, including the writer Virginia Woolf, who was embarking on her own epidemic of fame which did not peak at least until near the end of the 20th century, long after her death in 1941. Keynes was reputed to be gay or bisexual, and his male relationships were well known among the tolerant Bloomsbury group, providing a spicy bit of gossip that, at any time, could travel only by word of mouth. Gayness was not generally a good thing for one's career in Keynes' day, but it might have been in the center of a certain narrative. Keynes later married a beautiful ballerina, Lydia Lobakova, who experienced her own epidemic of popularity after she retired from dancing, likely because of her association with Keynes. And as we have already noted, Keynes was famous for his 1919 bestseller, Economic Consequences of the Peace, which in effect predicted World War II. In contrast, John Hicks, who first published the ISLM model, was not quite so colorful a figure figure. Thus, stories about Keynes were possibly donkeys that helped carry the ISLM model to contagion. Figure 3.3 shows the life history of four economic models. These histories resemble not only the normal course of a disease epidemic, but also the life history of other kinds of narratives. Elements of the essential ideas in economic narratives may survive as they are adapted and incorporated in later narratives involving other contagious ideas, but they tend to lose their punch and identity in the process. Their ability to direct thought and action becomes much diminished. A key proposition of this book is that economic fluctuations are substantially driven by contagion of oversimplified and easily transmitted variants of economic narratives. These ideas color people's loose thinking and actions. As with disease epidemics, not everyone becomes infected. In the case of narrative epidemics, the people who miss the epidemic may tell you that there was no such important popular narrative. But in a historic epidemic, for most people the narrative will be fundamental to their reasons for doing or not doing. Things that affect the economy. 
Just like the economic theories in figure 3.3, popular theories among the general public grow on an upward epidemic path, but only for a while. Then they recede unless they get renewed. It is noteworthy that Keynes' book, The General Theory of Employment, Interest, and Money, from 1936, put forth the idea of a perfectly mechanical contagion without using that phrase. According to Keynesian theory, an economic boom starts when some initial stimulus, such as government deficit spending, causes an initial, causes an initial increase in some people's income. These people then spend so much of their additional income, which in turn generates income for other people who sell to them or work for companies that sell to them. They in turn spend much of this extra income, thus generating another round of income increases for yet other people, and so on in multiple rounds of expenditure. The Keynesian theory can be tweaked to add some investment dynamics, as Paul Samuelson showed in 1939 with his multiplier accelerator model thus creating hump-shaped responses in national income as a result of an economic stimulus. These hump-shaped responses resemble the epidemic curves we have seen. We can view the Keynes-Samuelson model as an epidemic model of sorts, where the contagious element is income. However, it is not enough to think solely in terms of mechanical, multiple rounds of expenditure. We must think of multiple rounds of expansion of economic narratives, and of the ideas and feelings embodied in them. Constellations and Confluences of Narratives Just as the world experiences co-epidemics of diseases, where two or more diseases interact positively with each other, we also see co-epidemics of narratives, in which the narratives are perceived as sharing a common theme, such as case studies that illuminate a political argument, creating a picture in the mind that is hard to see if one focuses on just one of the narratives. In other words, large-scale economic narratives are often composed of a constellation of many smaller narratives. Each smaller narrative may suggest a part of a larger story, but we need to see the full constellation to discern the full theme. The analogy to constellations should be clarified. Astronomical constellations, such as Cygnus the Swan, are chance alignments of stars, but humans interpret them in a way that seems natural to the human mind, in this case, as a swan. Sometimes, humans co-opt constellations for certain purposes. For example, Christians have renamed Cygnus as the Northern Cross to put one of their symbols in the sky. They also paired it with another constellation, the Southern Cross, for people living in the Southern Hemisphere. Other groups and cultures have different narratives with other motivations. Narratives appear in constellations, partly because their credibility relies on a set of other narratives that are currently extant. That is, they sound plausible and interesting in the context of the other narratives. The storyteller does not need to refute the other narratives to set the stage for the current one. Also, the narrative may be based on certain assumed facts that the teller and the listener do not know how to test. Some narratives are contagious because they seem to offer a confirming fact. We can say with some accuracy that most people put on a show of their own knowledgeability and try to conceal their, their ignorance of millions of facts. Hence, narratives that seem contrary to prevailing thought may have lower contagion rates that do not result in epidemics. 
Some narrative constellations may at their peak infect only a small fraction of the population, but if that fraction of the population curtails its spending substantially, the narrative may matter a lot. For example, if the narrative have, ha, has reached only 20% of the country's population, but that fraction decides to postpone purchasing a new car or fixing up their house, the impact of its decreased spending may be big enough to tip the country into recession. In addition to a constellation of narratives, there is a confluence of narratives that may help drive economic events. By a confluence, I mean a group of narratives that are not viewed as particularly associated with one another, but that has similar economic effects at a point in time, and so may explain an exceptionally large economic event. For example, in my 2000 book, Irrational Exuberance, I listed a dozen precipitating factors, or narratives, that happened to occur together around the year 2000 to create the most elevated stock, mar stock market in the United States ever, soon to be followed by a crash. The list, in brief, comprised the World Wide Web, the triumph of capitalism, business success stories, Republican dominance, baby boomers retiring, business media expansion, optimistic analysts, new retirement plans, mutual funds, decline of inflation, expanding volume of trade, and the rising culture of gambling. If we want to know why an unusually large economic event happened, we need to list the seemingly unrelated narratives that all happened to be going viral at around the same time and affecting the economy in the same direction. However, it is important to recognize that big economic events usually can't be described as caused by just a single constellation of narratives. It is far more likely that big economic events are not explainable in such satisfying terms. Instead, explaining those events requires making a list of economic narratives that itself cannot be described as a simple story or a contagious narrative. In part three of this book, we focus on some of the brighter stars in the narrative constellations, those that are significant enough to contribute substantially to changes in economic motivations. We cannot yet link these constellations precisely to severe economic events. But even with partial views of the constellations and confluences, we are making progress toward understanding the events. We also have no more than a partial view of the forces that make some narratives into epidemics. The ability of epidemics and narratives to go viral is something of a mystery, which we attempt to unravel in the next chapter. Thank you for watching. Please like, subscribe, and visit my channel for more exciting content.